Gallifrey in the constellation of Castelbrus. I hope he is a bit less conspicuous this time. You might be a doctor, but I am. I'm a doctor. That's probably not the one you expect. Absolutely fantastic. All of time and space, everything that ever happened or ever will. Where do you want to start? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Bigger on the Inside, the new Hugh Doctor Who Watch Along podcast. I am Harry, joined as always by my main host, Tim. How are you doing, Tim? I'm very good. Thank you for having me on my YouTube channel and podcast, Harry. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Um, and so uh, today, I am deciding to take the reins of this uh, segment, uh, sort of out of their field, just to briefly talk about uh, what we're talking about, Tim. We're talking about the Doctor Who TV movie, which is celebrating its 25th anniversary of being a, a, a thing that we can consume. And who, who's it by, the TV movie? Oh, don't do this. Uh, we are watching. We are talking about the Doctor Who TV movie starring Paul McGann, written by Matthew Jacobs, who we were both lucky enough to sit down and interview um, about a month ago now. And that interview is out on the channel and the podcast feed. Wherever you're listening to this, you can also listen to that interview with him um, as well. So hopefully, whilst we talk about the movie, we'll be able to answer a few of our own questions when it comes to the production of the Doctor Who TV movie. That is very exciting, isn't it? The fact that kind of, we kind of made a thing of kind of for every episode of Doctor Who that we talked about, we'd always kind of say who it was by because that was the thing that the episodes were always introduced with. And now we're talking about the movie, which we say who it's by and we're actually able to talk to that person. It's kind of insane that we mm. had that opportunity. It's incredible. Yeah, we haven't been able to talk to any TV writers, I don't think. Not off the top of my head, we've spoken to big Finnish writers, which has been amazing. They've been super insightful and really interesting. Um, Johnny Morris is a real highlight. You can go back and listen to that. He's done a lot of David Tennant work and a lot of Tom Baker work. But to actually talk to somebody who's written visually for Doctor Who and has given stage directions to a doctor, is uh, it was very exciting. Mm, yes. And... Uh, so we felt that uh, before the interview would be good to kind of have this kind of supplementary thing where we kind of talk about the film itself, just to kind of establish our thoughts on the TV movie. So, uh, Tim, what do you think of the TV movie? <laughs> it's very strange being on the receiving end of this. Uh, if this is someone's first time listening to this, it's normally the other way around where I ask Harry all the questions and I sit back and I do nothing. Uh, but we changed it around for this. I, this was the first time I had watched the TV movie all the way through. Um, subconsciously, it's the first time I can remember sitting down and I'm going to watch the TV movie today. Um, and I would, there were several, several things in it that took me by surprise, and I imagine they're the same ones as you as well. But all in all, I really enjoyed it. I know it got a bad rap, it doesn't feel like a TV movie, I think was the main thing that stood out to me. It just feels like a 90s movie, a low-budget 90s movie. It doesn't have a TV vibe. It doesn't feel like it's restricted by the medium of TV. It does feel sort of just like really low-budget sci-fi. And there isn't actually that much sci-fi in it either. It's, a lot of it is, you know, it takes place in America with a lot of human casters, 
very there's no a there's no well there is aliens in it but there's no you know Sydney Newman's quote Sydney Newman there's no bug-eyed monsters or anything like that walking around the set it's people in cloaks and stuff like that you know we get glimpses of the Daleks at the start but you know it doesn't rely too much on fluffy gooey creatures it's more of a character-driven piece I would say yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing about being American that kind of surprised me the most. Like you said, it kind of just felt like any kind of of the era 90s movie. And I was surprised, first of all, by how Americanized it was. But also the thing that surprised me was how, considering Doctor Who is a very British property, I didn't really mind how American it felt. Yeah. The way that it was treated in the source material, it still all felt very natural and it all worked for me. Yeah, I, d- I definitely agree with that. And I think a lot of that is kind of helped by the fact that it is a new Doctor. So when you get a new Doctor, you expect rebrands and, you know, relocating and stuff like that. Like with Jodie moving to Sheffield, I know that's not that much of a change from Cardiff to Sheffield, but you sort of accept it because it's the show's trying to reestablish itself, I guess. So the move to America didn't really affect it that much. I think it also adds to the story in a way. You know, the Doctor is from, from a narrative point, the Doctor's from Gallifrey and he finds himself in America. But as an audience, he's British and he finds himself in America. So I guess those two elements kind of play quite well together. If you're either familiar with the story or not, you kind of can see it from either... A British guy in America, if you're a fan, or if you're new to the show, you're seeing it as this random alien landed in America. Mm, absolutely. Uh, like you mentioned, this is uh, the first uh, Doctor Who story to introduce a new Doctor, Paul McGann. Mm-hmm. But before we get to him, I feel like we'd be remiss to not talk about the fact that this is also the last uh, canon story of the seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy, yeah. who I think it surprises both that he had a lot more screen time than we remembered. He was in about a third of the film. Yeah, I was generating. Yeah, that was one of the things I mentioned when I said one of the things that took me by surprise was if you go on YouTube, there is little, very little to any clips of this movie online. There's the scene of him regenerating, talking about Gallifrey and the bit where he gets shot. And that's really about it. I thought the movie started with that voiceover bit where he's uses the sonic the wrong way round and um, steps out of the tires, gets shot. And then I thought maybe Sylvester was in it for 10 minutes max, but he's in this for a good half hour, maybe more. Mm. And I think since then, Sylvester has said that he kind of wishes he didn't do that and that he, they'd done like a flashback in if it had gone to see if it had gone to series. And also, if I think when we spoke to Johnny Morris as well, I think he maybe said that. He was semi-worried that that would be somewhat alienating to audiences to not introduce your lead actor, really, until, you know, a third of the way in. Yeah, I personally found it really interesting to kind of view the uh, McCoy scenes and the regeneration of McCoy within the framework of kind of regenerations that we have now in New Who. Because if you look at regenerations in New Who... um, they're usually treated as quite this, as this very kind of reflective moment of reflection for the Doctor, for them to kind of look back at what they've done and for them to reflect on their own death and what that means for them. Here in the TV movie, it's very different in the sense that 
even as he's dying, McCoy doesn't really have time to yeah. kind of reflect on his own death. The seventh doctor is very much kind of urgent and trying to warn these people about the master and this danger that's very prevalent. And I honestly found that a really refreshing way to go. Maybe it didn't give, you know, close a chapter on the doctor as much as we've had on other doctors, but I found it a really unique and cool way to do it that played directly into the story that was happening at that moment. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that yet. Like, there is no final speech or anything like that, or the moment has been prepared for it was, help, I'm not human. <laughs> I think is what he says at one point when he's being put under the knife, <laughs> whisked off to hospital. What I think might have been a really good idea is to not show McCoy's face. I suppose it didn't even have to be McCoy, but just allude to that it is the seventh doctor uh, by showing props and stuff. And then sort of maybe have a regeneration, but where you hide the face so audiences aren't too bewildered about why this other actor is getting a lot of screen time. It almost seems like, oh, they're just telling a background story for new listeners sort of thing. And then in later seasons, you could have brought McCoy back through flashbacks and actually shown his face. And obviously, anybody who was interested in the show at the time would have been able to go back and research who the actor was before Paul McGann and would have been able to put one-on-one together to work out that it was McCoy. Uh, But then again, I'm a McCoy fan. So I suppose I'm trying to look at this as a Doctor Who fan and somebody who was watching this for the first time to try and work out why this reboot didn't work. Yeah, honestly, that's not something I'm 100% sure about because I feel like because so much of this this story that they're telling kind of hangs on the crooks of that regeneration and how kind of the new companion responds to that, I feel like that you need to see the face of the Doctor pre-regeneration so that the audience kind of really understands that post-regeneration, the fact that that yeah. appearance has completely changed is this weird, strange alien thing? Mm. Yeah, that, okay, that's a good point. Yeah, that would have been. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah, because otherwise, how's the audience actually going to know it's it's, uh, it's changed at all? Yeah, that's a good point. That I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. So, what did you think of the regeneration scene itself? It was done in a very different way to what we've seen in both Classic Who and New Who. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it. I know there's like the the parallel to Frankenstein's monster and all that, with the security guy watching that on telly. Um, I don't think it's that good because I don't think there's a distinguishing point of change. You know, with um, Whitaker to Capaldi, you see the eyes change. With Eccleston to Tennant, you see the hair sprouting out. With this, it seems it's just McCoy pulling a series of conjoined, what's the word I'm trying to say? Contorted. Contorted faces. And then Paul McGann doing that as well, and then they merge. I like to see the evolution of the body and the face growing and the hair and the fingers, you know, all that. I like to see that. But I do think it's it was an interesting concept and it's done it's filmed very well and with the sound and the lighting and it's very it is very cinematic and I don't have a problem with that. I just think maybe the concept could have been um somewhat better. That said, the shot where McGann sits up and the light hits his eyes, I think that looks really great. 
Mm, the way it's shot is actually really cool. It does, like you said, feels really cinematic. It's really filmic and it's got that energy in those angles and the lighting. Like I remember the lighting in that scene is really striking. Yeah, yeah. A lot of that is, I think that probably lends itself quite well to as well, not um, feeling like a TV movie. Mm, absolutely. Mm. So that brings us, of course, onto McGann himself and his performance <laughs> as the Doctor. Yeah. This is, we've only really, other than this and Night of the Doctor, we've not had any on-screen Doctor performance from McGann, have we? That's it, yeah, that is it. I know, obviously, people will be screaming big finish at us in the comments. Um, As somebody, as two people, really, who are sort of big finish virgins in a way, we've dabbled and we've listened to the odd bits and bobs. Um, And I've listened to McGann's very first, audio adventure that I did a review with Harrison of. People can go and find that on our Big Finish Battles playlist. Um, I don't really know. It's hard, he's really hard to talk about because you only have that one, this one movie really, to really sort of, for, for us anyway at the moment, it's like trying to talk about Capaldi in his very first episode. It's next to impossible really, yeah. but from what we got I liked him a lot and I don't have a problem with him and I think his acting is great and he's very quirky and then I know through Big Finish he gets does get dark and quite serious at times um, and through Night of the Doctor as well I really enjoyed him he's got he's very quippy and I would really really like to see him come back and I think there is more of a possibility of him coming back now than there was in 2013. Are we going to bring the 60th into this as well? <laughs> we might as well. I think Paul was... I swear, every single video we do, we always talk about the 60th. I think Moffat mentioned that he wanted... When Eccleston said no, he said to, yeah, OK, we'll have him again. And then the BBC said no. And I think since then, the BBC, I hope anyway, have come to realise that was a mistake and that people would have actually... Roamed. Not that we didn't enjoy The War Doctor, because that does add to the show's canon and it sort of, you know, it carries on the story, which is what that whole episode is about. But I also feel like people would have really, really liked to have seen more of him again than we did in The Night of the Doctor. And that Night of the Doctor thing was a huge delight. And I know when we spoke to Johnny Morris as well, you can go and listen to that interview, he mentioned that he was very excited with The Night of the Doctor as well when, you know, people suddenly started going back and watching a TV movie like we have. And, you know, getting into contact with him. I should also mention, sorry, Harry, um, Johnny is working on a film as well called Doctor Who Am I? Um, you might have come and joined us from finding that link on his website, so thank you very much if you have. If you haven't, um, just give it a googs. And, um, yes, yeah, from what I remember Johnny telling us about, it's like a documentary about himself, you know, joining the Doctor Who fan base again after feeling somewhat excluded from it after the poor reception of the movie, which... I think from us watching it, I think is I can see why people were upset because it didn't get picked up, and to that a lot of people at the time that was Doctor Who over with. But now you can look at that and enjoy it, knowing that Doctor Who did return. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll move on to that in a sec. But I just mm. kind of want to say that just from the TV movie, I'm surprised at how quickly. I immediately warmed to the Eighth Doctor and McGann's performance. Like it's really comparable for me to like Eccleston, Tennant, Smith, all of their first episodes. 
and uh, just McGann had such kind of a warmth and an enthusiasm about him that it was hard not to get excited mm. with him watching him on screen. And also, I know this is very artificial, but man, he's good looking, isn't he? Paul McGann. <laughs> didn't I? I yeah, you know, you know, people always go. Go on. People always go on about like David Tennant and Matt Smith and, you know, like how good looking they are. But like, I don't know. McGann is a pretty handsome bloke, isn't he? I think the story was that. Um, I think his name is Gregory Sachs, I want to say, is a director of this. And I think he saw him in a production with all his brothers in which he had long flowing hair. And he went, oh, yeah, Paul McGann was, you know, I wanted to look like that. And then Paul McGann had done a war film and turned up with an Eccleston cut. And everybody suddenly panicked and he had to wear that wig. Hmm. But since then, um, you know, when he did Night of the Doctor, he had a, his natural hair, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I believe he did. What did you so, think to, um, the, um, to the costume? I think it's a it's a very kind of classical costume. Yeah. Almost kind of like when you imagine Doctor Who is kind of an embodiment of kind of what you imagine the Doctor is. It kind of really encapsulates that. Similarly to a Doctor such as uh, Capaldi, which very intentionally tried to draw from every Doctor. Yeah. And for me, you know, it's very classy. It works very well. And I feel like it is a good embodiment of kind of McGann's Doctor in this story at the very least. Yeah, it's very Hartnell-esque as well, I feel. I've, I think I've read that before, that they tried to sort of really like strip it back to what it originally was. And then I also really like his Night of the Doctor costume as well, which was very good. Yeah, true. Both yeah. very strong costumes. Yeah, sorry. So returning to the stuff that you... Hmm? Sorry, no, I was going to say carry on with what you were what you were just about to tell me. Yeah, so returning to something that you brought up about the... Um, criticisms that this faced upon its initial release um i suppose the two main ones and i'll go through them beat by beat is uh first of all the fact that this introduces the piece of canon that's pretty much been ignored ever since its release that the doctor is apparently half human yeah honestly i don't really mind that addition it kind of makes a lot of sense so it does in a way but i suppose i'm not a huge fan of it just because I feel like it's been done before in other properties. And I think Johnny said mm. that. He's like, well, it was being in Star Trek, so we did it in Doctor Who. And I was like, yeah, fine, whatever. Completely understandable why you did it. You don't know something's not going to work until after you've done it, so why not give it a shot? Um, and then we also spoke with him about the time of Child as well, didn't we? And I feel like he's sort of quite glad that that's happened because it brings back a lot of the canon of this movie in the sense that, the Doctor could actually now be half human again. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing for me is it's very clear from the way, like, specifically the Master is depicted with kind of very different looking eyes, if I remember correctly, is that I imagine that if this was picked up for a series, the Time Lord um, alien race would have been depicted as something much less human than we're used to. Does he have the eyes, doesn't he, because... It's like a snake at what I cannot remember. Um, I, I, I understand was that like that was just like time or dice, and the reason McGann is normal eyes is because he's half human. It was something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, I watched it a week ago, guys. Give me a break. But uh, um, <laughs> yeah, but to, to be completely honest, um, that doesn't it doesn't bother me massively because they did somewhat ignore it. it has somewhat come back into canon now, but. It's hard to talk about at the moment because we had the timeless child and then that was sort of just left. We haven't really had 
anything said about that since maybe in series 13 we'll get a few more bits said about it we'll have to wait and see I mean, Doctor Who is a series that's been going for so long and so many writers have contributed to it and so many elements have been brought up in the past and kind of new plot points and bits of lore. Not everything is going to survive in the long run. Yeah. Obviously, the half-human thing was dropped. I am, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in the future the time as child is dropped, but really, for me, that depends entirely on how series 13 chooses to uh, use that story beat. Yeah. I, I always think if I had the chance to write a Doctor Who episode, I would bring back something that we had all sort of written off and just casually bring it back. Like a really easy example would be that in a Peter Davison episode, they bring on a robot as a new companion and they bring him on as a companion and in the next episode, he's never seen again. And I think they say that he went in the back for repairs and then he was just like, never ever came back. And I was like, the What's idea the that robot if I ever did it. Popular? Sorry? Was the robot not a popular edition or something? I think it was, but it was like a production standpoint. Like it, the the costume wasn't very good. Or I can't, I honestly can't remember. But um, I just think if I if I had the chance, my whole episode would I'd bring him back. I feel like the doctor finally fixed him, and then the little robot dude came <laughs> back. <laughs> After thousands of years, he finally fixed that robot. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna try whilst you talk about what whatever next. I'm just gonna have a quick look to see what that robot was called. Well, the next thing I was going to bring up was the other thing, which was at the time a point of contention, but for modern standards has become pretty normal affair in New Who, which is the fact that the Doctor Companion relationship is much more of a, well, um, in our conversation, um, in our interview, it was revealed that it wasn't really intended as a completely romantic thing, but it was kind yeah. of very much interpreted as a romantic thing in the sense that the Doctor kisses their companion. Yeah. And one thing that surprised me about this is that the companion of Grace, she's just this one-time person. You know, she wasn't meant to join the TARDIS, and she doesn't, and then the Doctor goes off, and the actress who plays her is returned by a big finish, and but hasn't played Grace. So it's almost like she was just that person who did that one adventure and that was it. You know what I mean? Mm. And I quite like yeah. that. Yeah, I liked it. And how did you feel about that? I mean, obviously, if the lens of New Who and David Tennant snogging so many blondes, um, <laughs> it's something that's become quite normalised now. Uh, yeah. And I can't but wonder if kind of we would have had that and those kind of relationships if had it not been for the tv movie i saw an interview with stephen moffat where he said that the doctor has always flirted with his companions you know john pertwee clearly loved sarah jane because when when sarah i'm sorry clearly loved joe grant because when joe grant gets married he just walks off and leaves he doesn't say goodbye you know he's like devastated that joe's got married and then there's clearly some tension, some flirtation between Sarah and the fourth Doctor, you know, and you're telling me the fifth Doctor wasn't hanging around with Nicola Bryan and just didn't fancy her at all. It's completely <laughs> bollocks. I'm not believing it at all. So, yeah, I think it's always been there. Maybe not so much with Colin and Matt's Doctor. They're both quite sexless Doctors, even though Matt, you know. River Song, bro. River Song. Yeah, I was about to say, apart from River. Um, but And Clara. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I feel like it's always been there, but maybe 
I was having this conversation with somebody else yesterday is that it was maybe just not as forefront as it has since become. Mm, yeah, maybe for, you know, 60s through to 80s BBC sci-fi, that was something they're like, oh no, we must protect our children from romance. But, you know, now it's a TV movie, it's like, screw it, you yeah. know? Yeah, sorry, just Give to go about that, chame- they want. that robot was called Chameleon. Chameleon, okay. Yeah. yeah, and he looks terrible, but I would totally bring him back. <laughs> just bring him back looking exactly the same, the same yeah, costume. Yeah. yeah, I'll show you a picture after this, but yeah. Sorry, sorry, Harry, carry on. Brilliant, yeah. Um, the next thing I can think to speak about is... Um, actually, there's one thing that I just want to highlight, which is one thing I noticed that... Uh, the eighth doctor does throughout this story is that he has conversations with random people where he kind of makes allusions to things in their future and says, Oh, do this, do that. Um, you won't he regret does, it. Doesn't he? Yeah. And that's something. Hmm, yeah. That's something you don't really see from doctors now, I guess, because of the whole fixed points in time, can't alter history, yada, yada, yada. But I think yeah. it's quite just a fun little quirk that kind of helps to kind of feed into the whole time travel thing. Cause obviously this story is based in modern day and there isn't really any time travel in it, or at least not much. So I guess that kind of helps to kind of establish the time travel element of the doctor in the TV movie. Yeah. I suppose it's like, yeah, but I, I also can see it as that if this went to series then something bad happened to a companion, people would be like, well, he knew this was going to happen. So why didn't he stop it or whatever? Mm, possibly. Yeah. yeah. I didn't thought of that. But yeah. If people want to know why this didn't go to series, it might not actually be the reason that people think. So do go over and listen to our interview with Johnny Morris where he does talk about the reason this wasn't picked up by Fox. Um, It's actually quite interesting, so do go check that out as well. In case you haven't realised, the whole point of this video is to advertise our interviews because people don't listen to our interviews, not enough people, and they're really good. Some of the best stuff this channel produces, personally. Yeah, they're really good fun, definitely, because I think the issue is... Is that we don't necessarily we don't interview David Tennant and Donna and, and Catherine Tate and all these people. We're like, okay, we'll interview that one person who appeared in that one episode, and we talk to them for half an hour, and we just get some absolutely lovely stories um, about them as well. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. The last thing that I can think of that really stands out to me in this TV movie is um, we've talked about, of course, the costume, uh, the new actor. Well, the other things we often get, at least now with a new Doctor, is a new TARDIS interior. And I have to say, mm. this TARDIS is so cool looking on the inside. It is, isn't it? And it's such a shame that we didn't really get ever to explore it. I would really... And I always think if, they, if McGann came back, what would they do? Would they recreate it or would they just give him a bog-standard basic TARDIS interior? I'd love to see recreation because honestly, this might be the most detailed and largest TARDIS interior we've had. You know, it's not just one room, it's several sets and each of them, it looks just so like gothic and dramatic and cool. I really dig them. I really dig them. Yeah, there was times where I forgot we were in the TARDIS. It looks like we're just in like a big chapel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it kind of works for what they were doing with McGann's Doctor and the way he looks. It just looked... Ah, it's so cool. It's so cool. Reminds me of those kind of like... Um, American uh, paranormal slash fantasy slash sci-fi shows that kind of always go for that epic cinematic look and it just oh, I really yeah. dig it. I yeah, really it's great, dig it's it. great. Yeah. 
So uh, that's everything that I can think of as kind of the standout points about the uh, TV movie. Is there anything you want to highlight, Tim? Uh, something I can think of, apart from it has a really great um, new theme tune. I think it's really good, a really good, like, orchestral celebrationary Doctor Who theme. Which mm, I, using the middle eighth. Yeah, it does, yeah. <laughs> I, I really enjoy that. Apologies if you just heard that. My microphone just shut. Um, but apart from that, yeah, that's it. And if I, if you know, I really enjoyed this. And if you haven't watched it, do go and watch it. It's like an hour and a half. If you get the DVD, it's got loads of fun interviews on there as well with Paul McGann on set and stuff like that. That said, um, I looked online for like some behind the scenes footage, and there is very little behind the scenes footage on this movie at all. But there must be some somewhere. So um, you know, if anybody's got some, get in touch. Please let us know. Yeah. Cool. So uh, I think on that bombshell, is this coming out before the uh, interview? This is on the same day, all of it. We're having a full day of celebration over on the Big On The Inside YouTube channel and all our podcast feeds. You're going to have this and you're going to have our interview with Johnny Morris, if we hadn't mentioned that already. So uh, yeah, go and check it all out. Big celebration of the TV movie. That's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And on that bombshell, uh, that is all from me. Goodbye. Bye-bye. And Tim, do you want to say bye? Oh, I get to do it. This is exciting. <laughs> yeah. Bye-bye! Is that how loud I sound? God. <laughs> yes, loud, isn't it? Make sure you subscribe to the official Bigger on the Inside podcast.